All right, welcome to episode number 123 of Anna Cafe Sessions Podcast. And here we go it's again. It's finally cold outside. You know, I never actually introduced who you are, but I guess it's, they just see that when they listen, they'll see our names on the thing. Because, yeah. you, know? you know, we look at some podcasts. Yeah, I was kind of old, I'm here with Sarah. Um, but yeah. I just assume if you're listening and you've clicked on something, you've I think they can probably tell the difference between our voices when they see the picture. It's pretty clear who's who. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And I can say, and, and, or, there's an and and an or to this. There's a, are people too busy to go click to find out who you are? Because that would require someone to do something other than what got they came here to do. <laughs> It's anyway. a crazy old world, man. Anyway, it's we a have crazy our coffee. We are so we here. Coffee. We're thinking about stuff. Yes. I've been reading. Um, I've been thinking about lots of stuff. I know. So we might digress a lot on this episode, but you've got some something to keep well, us grounded. Yeah. Although it's sort of, yeah. So I've been reading Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Well, Which, that's what uh, that's my life is about. That's what's, That's why I'm having all these questions. My search for I'm meaning. I'm sure that your digressions will yes. be, will be <laughs> But it's all about the search for meaning. Where do I fit in in this world? Well, well that's why we're here, aren't we? Yeah. At the Havana Cafe. Yes, what am I doing here? <laughs> How did I get here? Come on, tell me. Is there more purpose to life than what just is, what consuming coffee? What does Victor have to say about man's well, search for meaning? So if you haven't come across this book, um, it's a memoir of a Holocaust survivor. And what's and it's, it's so often quoted, I've had it on my shelf for absolutely years. Mm. And sort of, you know, one of those moments where it's just it's the right time the, to pick it up. The sort of self-help world, it's good in that. It's big in that. It's big in the... You know, the motivational it's, get stuff it's done the world. thing I think from from that it's it's the memoir from that time that's most often quoted mm. most widely, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um and what I, I realized the reason for that is that it's much less an account like when I was in high school and you know you know, growing up in Florida near Boca Raton, it's like the second biggest Jewish population in outside of Israel. And uh I might make that up, but it, it's pretty close. <laughs> um, and so there are a lot of Holocaust survivors. And when I um, was growing up, you know, you they would come to school and speak. And hmm. obviously now that's becoming a really rare thing. Um, but, you know, we also had to do a lot of reading of that kind of time. But this is a bit different in the sense that it's, um, you know, uh, Viktor Frankl is a it's a psychiatrist. So when he's taken to the camp and his reaction to it, and then in the later years, you know, because he's obviously survived, reflecting on his experience, he's, his memoir is about what these conditions do to the mind. So rather than capturing like what daily life was like in the camps mm. or, or the sort of story of a of a journey that you often get from literally being taken and then how survival yeah. happens. Um, this is really about a reflection on what happens to the mind under extremely adverse conditions. And it, you know, he often quotes Dostoevsky, you know, who went to the work camps in Russia yeah. and stuff to the Gulag. And it's sort of probably quite similar in the sense that, you know, there's, 
there's something that we can really take from that experience into our own lives about what the mind, what, what our human mind commonly does when things are stripped away or when we come across circumstances that we couldn't even like contemplate happening. And of course, nothing probably we could really imagine is as, as horrible as what he's gone through. But yet we all have that experience on some level of going through times when you think, how did I get here? Or how is this happening to me? Or just, just meeting things that, yeah. So anyway, um, it's a great read and it's, um, it's equally like sort of deeply sad, but also incredibly uplifting mm. in that sort of like the way he is both very humble in, in um, recognizing that he's not, he wasn't always like this wonderful moral person. Um, and that when you're taken to things need to happen to survive, like that you can be quite, um, you know, determined and, and selfish in your own existence, but also the way that he tries to find some level of inner freedom, even under these conditions of incredible like yeah. deprivation and incarceration and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so it was, it was a great read and I'm, I'm sort of getting towards the end of it. Um, well, it's a, as I said, it's, a, it's um, I mean, uh, in the kind of world that I sort of travel around in, it's, you know, it's an often referenced book. And uh, but honing in on this, I think we were just talking about there in terms of, one, the trick that your mind can play on you, and two, that your world is an inner world, not necessarily an outer world, and that whatever experience that you might find yourself in, and that, I guess this is quite zen related as well in that sense and that it, that um you know you create life as a hell or a heaven yeah regardless of where you kind of are it's going to be your mentality yeah. until in the way that you sort of approach the situation um that you're in yeah and then part of the idea is well how do you how do you train your mind how do you get your mind to create the right level of experience or to accept that what is is and not to make it into something other than what it is it, it, it might be yeah um and we all have the experiences it's a thing i mean you can just reflect on any day that you have and you can think how any situation you might have gone into the stories that you're telling yourself in your head can sometimes make that situation worse because you keep playing the negative story and you make it bigger and then your body reacts to that and then you get all worried and you're all anxious and you're all in that sort of space. But equally, you probably have examples where you have a optimistic outlook. You don't know the outcome, but you have an optimistic outlook. And so you approach the world in a different way. You see things in a, in a different space. The same things if you've... And I think um, there is a book, um, uh, Prometheus Rising, Robert mm -hmm. Anton William, if you read that book, he's got a lot of thought experiments that he does in that book, which are really cool. So he's building off of this theme. He says, one week, go to a party or some gathering where, um, you know, it's other people, lots of people in, but put yourself into a state like you've had the worst news ever and then observe people's reaction to you and then do the same thing, but take the equal opposite mindset 
and see what reactions that you have, have that people have to you. And he also says, like, you know, if you're a diehard conservative, buy all the liberal liberal news media that you can get and be a liberal for a week, like literally be a liberal for that week and in, in the habit that's and partly what he's getting at is how you can change your frame of mind changes your experience of the world yeah 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 so I, you know i think one of the things that really has come out for me which is sort of what you're saying is that it's it's sort of incredible to me that someone can come out of that experience with anything positive to say but there's a distinct um, observation that Viktor Frankl makes about how suffering can be useful and that it's, um, and I think that's in no way is he or would I ever suggest that that, you know, the concentration camps or anything like that would be worth anything really. But I think that, um, how can I say, like, you know, he talks about s sort of the experience of beauty and art and how their whole lives, because they were so devoid of anything that was beautiful, everything was gray, everything mm. was, you know, really, really stark. When you caught a glimpse of a sunset or you caught a glimpse of like a tree or a bird, there was something really powerful that the, the beauty in that became so apparent in a way that had never been in your sort of everyday life before at the camp. When you were taking it for granted. Yes, exactly. It was always around you exactly. and then you take it for granted. You don't and see I think it that what, what he's sort of saying, I mean, I think with everything that he says, he's sort of taking the most extreme example and the most extreme of human experience that you can possibly imagine and saying there is some level of truth to this across experiences, you know, and if, and, and so strangely, he sort of says something that, that you also hear a lot in, in Buddhist practice, which is, um, so, uh, sorry, I'm not being very sort of articulate about this, but that there's this sort of honoring of the power of suffering or the power of difficulty and the power of hardship to learn things that you need to learn. And so when um, Tibetans mm -hmm. have their funeral um, services or whatever in their mourning, their prayers include, because they believe that in reincarnation and going into the, this person who has passed away from this life will have another life, what they're praying for is that the next life will be full of not too little suffering, not too much suffering. Right. But I think that it's such, when I heard that, it really stood out to me because it's such a contrast to the way that we live in the sense that we want to eliminate all suffering. You know, like we want to never be sick. You know, we want to never, you know, experience, you know, difficulty. My kids at school, everything is trying to be rewarded. Do you know what I mean? It's, hmm. we're in a culture and a society that really wants and believes that we can achieve a completely smooth path and what the well, I think that's 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 off of our need to want to control things again if you think about our adventure episode we have yeah. last week and this idea of suffering exactly that so part of suffering re reveals character so how you deal with those yeah. adverse situations reveal your sort of true inner self because well, you're in that 
and what he, yeah, I think so. What he's sort of saying is that you can't really develop certain parts of yourself if you don't go through difficult circumstances. Well, yeah, because then you're just playing. Yeah. So if you go through this, when you're in it, the suffering and this re- revelation of your true character comes out. Otherwise, you, if you're in a position and you're theorizing or you're not quite at that space, then you're not you're not having their true reaction. So I get it absolutely. And one of the things that we did. In the military, when I like the ranger school and, and other things like that, is that you do these, put your body to these extreme conditions. And partly it's one that's, you know, it's a rite of passage in some ways, but in other ways, it's like if I told you that you could go three days or you can go a week with very little food, very little sleep, and cover 100 miles or so. You'll say, okay, yeah, I can do that, but you won't know. Yeah. But pushing the body to that space, so now we've we've got a a, a memory of having been yeah. in that space. So when you encounter it again, you know that you can push the human body further than maybe you think you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean my my uh, most extreme pushing of myself was certainly like during. Um, the time when my kids were really little because both of them were really bad sleepers and particularly Mm. my first, which meant that when the second one came along, they, you know, double teamed me all night. And so I really feel like I did get to the point where sleep deprivation was a real thing. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and it really, (laughs) there's only experiencing it to really realize just how it messes with your emotional state because we, we often think that, you know, we often see emotions as very real, you know, and it's really interesting to be in a situation in which you realize that your emotions are really just the subject of like something physical, like a lack of sleep suddenly makes all these other things feel real when they're not. Or more you know, or, intense, or, yeah. Yeah. I used to say to Ruth that she had to know that I was really into her when I went to ranger school we used to get like about an hour of sleep a day yeah and I would use a part of my hour to write a letter to it in the evening <laughs> so I, gave up, I know exactly and, and I've gone I've been up in the attic and I've, she kept them all so I have a box of them all and you can see the longer because it's like a 68 day survival school basically um, as time went on I was writing a letter, but you can't get illegible because essentially I was falling asleep writing them. Um, but yeah, I used to, I wrote every day. And, but yeah, you could see over time, it just deteriorates as, as the sleep deprivation piled upon itself. And it's weird what people do. Like I've seen people try and put like money into trees to get food out of the vending machine because we didn't get to eat. We got like one meal a day type thing. Um, and yeah, you just do the weirdest things and the hallucinations that you have. And, but we still had to function and carry on and carry out missions and stuff under those kind of conditions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting time. We did it under different environments, mountains, desert, jungle, um, and sort of woodland. So it was, you, know, you had all those environmental stressors. Would you say that writing those letters to Ruth helped you cope no i'll tell you what because this is interesting you did you said the cope because Devin is just about to do the whole military thing and he was asking me how 
And this links directly to what you're talking about here with Victor Franco. He was like, well, how do I get through the basic training bit? What's the Yeah, what's the secret? mental? But yeah. it is, and that's like the whole secret to it is that even when it sucks to be smiling, just to have a, your attitude in the right space, because, you know, yeah, it's going to suck. And you could make it really, really miserable and moan and complain. But then that affects your psyche and the psyche around others, whereas it can be completely miserable, same conditions. But if your spirit is in the right way yeah. and your mind is like, okay, yeah, it sucks, but that's not going to stop me from, you know. So yeah, well, yeah. We're, Victor we're, we're Frankl talks about how he and um, some people in his, um, you know, sort of group hmm. would made a pact with each other that they had to tell one funny story or one joke a day. They had yeah, to yeah. find a, yeah. something funny that at the end of the day, they could tell some kind of funny story to each other. And the other thing that he says, um, and the reason why I'm asking about the Ruth letters is that he has, he, he relates this experience about walking through the snow and you know, nobody's got like proper stuff on and yeah. half the people are walking like with no shoes or with shoes with no socks and all this kind of stuff. And you know, the, the sort of how your mind gets taken over by the minutia that is also really painful at a certain point because you're, you're so tired of being, of your mind being taken over by a minutia, you know, he wants to think of something else. And, and he describes this experience of, of just being totally stuck mentally in that place. And the guy next to him said something like, if our wives could see us now, like what would they say or yeah. something? And then he said they sort of continued to walk along and they both sort of knew they were both thinking about their wives. And he said it just in that moment, it was like a total transformation of his mindset. And suddenly he was thinking about his wife and he was thinking about her face and he started like talking to her and she, you know, in his mind was answering him. And he has the, a really, I'll read it. Cause it's, um, it's really quite profound. Like, you know, he sort of says that I sort of the first time in my life, I saw the truth set into song by so many poets the truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire. I grasp the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. And, you know, he sort of talks about how his mind sort of clung to this image of his wife and, and the conversation he was having with her in, in his head. And he said, um, I didn't know whether my life my wife was alive and I had no means of finding out, but at that moment it ceased to matter. There was no need for me to know. Nothing could touch the strength of my love and my thoughts. And um, yeah, I thought that was sort of, you know, these things in us that, that sort of can shift your mindset and these um, during difficult circumstances. Mm. So like not only why you're doing something, but the presence of something much more profound that is embodied maybe in that relationship, but is also sort of so much greater than it. And if we tie um, this back to the sort of stoic philosophy as well, I mean, that was, that's one of their, you know, part of the sort of stoic mentality is that idea about focusing only on the things that you can control right. and letting go of the things that you can't control. So if you're in a suck condition, there's nothing that you, you know, you can't control that, especially you if you're there by a virus, but you can control where your mind is. Yeah. Um, and then that changes the, you know, complete situation. So like what Seneca, you know, 
being rich and then being poor, then being in jail. Then, you know, so he had all these things go, yeah. going on in his life. And, and, but he wrote out all of them in an even space. So not to get too crazy when I'm in wealth mode, yeah. but also not to despair when I'm in, you know, poor mode and in jail yeah. mode. Um, and it was all about that inner focus on what was under my control in this situation, which is my mindset, which is. Yeah. I think there's something about our experience of love too, that it goes beyond um, just like our cerebral thoughts. That's See, a real a funny topic to me. We're going to have to do an episode yeah, on that. Cause that's I, a good I mean, idea. Cause I have to do the old um, Tina Turner thing. Well, like what is, or what is love? <laughs> what's love got to do with yeah, it? Yeah, what's, what's love got to do with it? Or even what yeah. is the thing? Uh, yeah. What's that foreigner? What is, I want to know what love this is. That song. Okay, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> because that's a str- again another strange concept. The whole idea of love. Well, you um, know, I remember thinking when I was pregnant with my first son, and it was sort of getting towards like the end of the pregnancy. It was like I. It was the first experience that I had had where, you know, when you're born and you don't choose your family, you don't know any different, you know. So by the time you sort of become aware and and sort of a conscious being, things, you know, those people, those people are sort of have been in your life. And then the rest of your growing up in adulthood, you're choosing for the most part, which people you're going to be friends with, which people you're going to hang out with. And it sort of occurred to me that I suddenly was about to have this new person in my life that um, was certainly going to be one of the most important people in my life. Probably, you know, if your children are maybe the most important Hmm. people in your life and I didn't have any idea who they were, what they were going to be like, you know, you know nothing about them. And I think that experience for me has been a profound lesson in, in the potential to love anybody. You know, if there's a commitment to love on both sides, which, you know, between a parent and a child, there sort of is, you know, then, I mean, and of course we're talking about like, you know, obviously people have bad experiences, but then if there's that commitment between the two people, it doesn't really matter what you're like and what the other person's like. Do you know what I mean? Like love can sort of exist despite and beyond that mattering. And I think, you know, you look at him being in the snow and basically barefoot with almost nothing to keep him warm, with no food, with just 12 hours of of labor ahead and no sign of freedom and all that kind of stuff. And you think it's very easy, you know, us sitting in the cafe, drinking our coffee and whatever, saying, yes, you can mentally sort of choose where you want to be. But I think the power that that has, if you can really, if if something has the power to transport you beyond those conditions, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's why I I always recommend it, um, at least for males anyway, but I guess females as well, that they should, everybody should spend time in the military. Makes, well, only because it makes you appreciate um, life a little bit more and the luxuries. Like sometimes I'm doing training and um, with you know these I'm calling them kids because I'm an old man now and they're complaining about stuff yeah. in the office. And I'm like, well, at least it's not a two way rifle range. There's nobody shooting at you in here. So for me, this is 
yeah. what's the gives you a bit of perspective it's like, what, it's like <laughs> you know you're not trying to dodge in the bullets here no one's shooting at you you got you know you're so yeah. I think it just gives you a different perspective on um life um and makes you appreciate things a little more yeah yeah um, so um so yeah so that was that was amazing about that book um there was a thing to go back to the sort of what so now does he actually yeah. talk about the search for meaning so are we you know, I mean, the book is called A Man's Search for, Man's well, Search for so Meaning. Well, so I'm very some, sorry to tell you that I have not a, gotten to the chapter that's the postscript, The Case for Tragic Optimism. Right. Um, and because that's what they say. They say, like, we are meaning-seeking creatures yes. that we are, and we seek to make meaning yeah. of things. So he does, yeah, I think, you know, although I haven't gotten to the end, I think that's that's very much so. So basically, um, he says... He quotes Dostoevsky, and he said, who, who has said, there is only one thing that I dread not being worthy of my sufferings. And I thought, that's quite difficult at first to understand. Like, how is one worthy of one's sufferings? But I think what, what Viktor Frankl takes from that, and, and I think what Dostoevsky probably means, is like, suffering has a potential to be transformative and it's not always because people don't always take that opportunity or maybe they're not able to take that opportunity because the suffering is literally too much for whatever reason but um with that transformation then when you go off into your future you want to, to sort of feel like you've held on to that wisdom and you've held on to those like moral hmm. principles or something that if it's sort of that suffering has has brought to you so that it was worth it, I suppose. But um, he says, so these words of Dostoevsky's frequently came to my mind, he says, after I became acquainted with um, those martyrs whose behavior in the camp, whose death and suffering bore witness to the fact that their last inner freedom cannot be lost. So he's talking about the choices that we always have, no matter the extreme level hmm. of suffering that we always have a choice in how we're going to behave and that some that most people under those difficult circumstances are going to go into total survival mode and all values are sort of lost and it's literally you're just you'll do anything to survive but there you know he says we who lived in the concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others giving away their last piece of bread they may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any, set of given, uh, any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. There are always choices to make every day, every hour, offer the opportunity to make a decision, a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to the powers that threaten to rob you of yourself and your inner freedom. And there's no way that you can know that until you completely that's right, in that situation. That's right. So when he's saying he was thinking about um, Dostoevsky, the only thing that I dread is to not be worthy of my sufferings. He says, um, there were those worthy of their sufferings. The way they bore their sufferings was a genuine inner achievement. This is spiritual freedom, which cannot be taken away. That makes life meaningful and purposeful. So, mm. 
am just on the same page. He says, the way in which a man accepts his fate and all the suffering it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross gives him ample opportunity, even under the most difficult circumstances, to add a deeper meaning to his life. And, you know, it's like these people that sort of, you know, in any field are sort of doing the most difficult thing. And I think, I think probably Viktor Frankl, we can put him and say he's done the most difficult thing of living, you know, like to, to survive those kind of situations and come out the other side is the most extreme circumstances of, of just living. But, you know, it, it's sort of also when you read these kind of things, it is very inspiring because you feel like if he can do this in a concentration camp, I need to get my, you know, well, this is the thing. I think it still comes down to a belief and a mindset thing. Because, again, you can tell people that and you can say you have choices, but most people won't believe you. They'll I mean because they don't have the self-belief that actually we can control that thing. I, they don't. You know, that, you know, when you're angry, you're not angry. No one mm -hmm. can make you angry. You're choosing to be angry. But yeah. you say that to a lot of people and they'll be like, ah. Oh. So, the, you know, the emotions, as you alluded to earlier, that you express, you know, not many people will believe you when you say that you've chosen that emotion, but you have the choice to do that. And, and they're useful. So sometimes it's good to be angry. So, yeah. you know, so, you know, use it, but know that you make the choice to be in that space if i'm in a foxhole and it's wet and it's cold and life sucks now i can choose to be really miserable yeah or like you you know we're here about telling the jokes we used to have a good old time and i i was that was probably the thing that got us through those kind of difficult circumstances when you're cold wet frozen and you're in this foxhole totally. that we were joking around and we, we some of my best memories is when life sucked you're hungry and you're wet and you're cold. There's no, you're not going inside. You're out in the elements. I mean, literally, I had to sleep in the, you know, foxhole and I'm, you know, up to my ankles and water um, and you and it's raining <laughs> and you're cold. But we just still found a way to um, laugh and make make jokes and get through the night, basically. Yeah. Um, whereas you could take the equal and opposite and just completely be miserable and think that life sucks and I hate this and all the other totally. stuff that would bring that. I think that's, you know, too. that's on a sort of, if we can pull ourselves back to our mundane, seemingly quite cushy compared to all of this stuff, realities. Hmm. But I think about people as well. And in terms of, and I was saying to you earlier about me thinking about my existential piece here but you could just be born like i mean he's in his concentration camps i've been thinking of people that are in syria or you know or in iraq and places who are born into a, a space they don't know necessarily any different apart from if an outsider brings but that's the circumstances of their lives when you look at you know when i sometimes you know you walk in the south them to go get a loaf of bread you can walk chilled where some places you go you know you you know yeah. it ain't that easy to go get the basic necessities um and again it's that perspective again on life and where you are and there's a song by shaggy and it says there's always somebody that has it worse than you yeah um and sometimes i you know i'll think back or reflect on that when you know things aren't necessarily going how i want them to go you know, there's other people in worse places, worse circumstances. Um, well, like you say, it's at. all a mental game, isn't it? Mm. And there's, um, 
in, in Buddhist practice, this is called like your antidotes to like negative mindset. Hmm. So the antidote to a negative mindset is to just think of something worse than, yeah. than it is. So, you know, if you don't want to go to work, but you've had a worse job, sit for a minute and think about what it would be like to be going to that job. Going back to that job. Or, yeah. or just, you yeah. know, whatever, or thinking about, you know, and there's all kinds of practices that are about dwelling and just yeah. really sitting with the experience of someone else who's really suffering that's, in a the way. That, and then suddenly you're, you, you sort of have a bit more perspective on. Yeah, that was, that's one of the um, stoic techniques as well is that mm. what the death one and the, what's the, imagine being in the worst possible situation. Yeah. Because there's that one exercise where, again, not to be attached to things. So it's like, so do you appreciate like your kids, for instance, and they're saying now imagine you know, that your kid's suddenly taken away from you and, yeah. and or die and that sort of thing. And that's the worst aspect. So while they're here with you, totally be present with them because they're not guaranteed to be with you. No, that comes to my mind day. a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very true. And, uh, you know, again, like in in this book, he talks about how this mentality of comparing ourselves and assessing our circumstance based on just whoever else is around us is just completely relative. So for them, they would often be really grateful. Like they'd be, you know, he talks about standing out, you know, and, and they were going, they had been transferred to a different camp. And, and then when they got there, someone had literally fallen asleep from exhaustion. So the whole group got um, punished by standing out all night in a freezing cold. But they were so glad that they, because they thought they were being transferred to this particular prison that was basically a death camp for, you know, like mm. that they were going to die basically in the gas chambers. And instead they were transferred to Dachau, which doesn't have a gas chamber. And, and I've been to Dachau actually. It's the only place I, the only concentration camp I've been, but it was quite a small one. And if you, it, it, it's so difficult to imagine that being the thing that you're grateful for, but you know, they stood out all night and he said, you know, they were all quite jolly because they were at a place with no yeah. chimney was the sort of feeling about yeah, yeah, yeah. it. And, you know, like similarly, it would be, oh, well, I'm in this work group, but at least I'm not with that work group that's way worse than mine and stuff. So, so there's always an attitude thing as well. I mean, this. if you can do that, then certainly we can try yeah. ourselves. The idea, though, how do you get to that space? So what's the, like it's like we're saying that, but then how do you put that into practice? Well, I mean, I don't know. I think once you start committing yourself to using, because for me, this is a spiritual practice. So for me, this is like part of Buddhist practice is like, you know, there's a very famous um, saying by Shanti Deva that's like anything, and I'm going to not quote it exactly correctly, but the idea is that you can, everything is made easier with familiarity even suffering and hardship. Mm. So I will practice on the small sufferings and the small hardships so that, you know, I have, you know, a familiarity with them and they become easier to bear. And it's, um, so I think for me, I think more often than I used to, certainly, I mean, I can't speak for how that compares to other people, but mm. more often than I used to now, I think about things that are, that I find like frustrating to be like, okay, what and observe myself and like how I'm dealing with that. But, um, you know, I think also when I'm in yoga class and, and teaching and stuff, one of the things is like, it's very, 
I'm, I'm always trying pe to get people to be a bit like gentle on themselves, right? Because it's like, you know, everyone's driving themselves really hard in their working life and their home life and everyone gets to yoga class and, and they take that same kind of drive and energy into their practice. And so a lot of times my, my advice and encouragement is to, to be more gentle, to kind of go easy. But actually there's also something that is about a mental sort of insistence to stay present. So you have to have some kind of like, no, I'm going to stay here, hmm. you know, or no, I'm going to not entertain those thoughts. I'm going, you know, so there's some kind of like, you might think of like gentle, but firm kind of the best possible leader saying, no, we're not going there. We're going here. And not in a way that's like beating you over the hmm. head, but in a way that's very firm, you know, yeah, I, think, so. I think that's the kind of mental position that you have to have with these kind of things. It's like, no, not that. This. I think the key is in the word practice, at least, yeah, you know, it's totally. like you got to practice it all the time, not just with the big things, but with the small things. Um, you know, even from, you know, I don't know, making toast in the morning, you burnt it. So how do you no, react to these things? I mean, so it's, it's, I've it's, had it's a really good example over the past couple of weeks because I had a big sort of misunderstanding with a friend of mine. And it sort of was one of those things that in any other time in my life, up until like more recently, it would have developed into this big fight. I would have been in my position of I'm right and you know, she's done something wrong and she would, pro would probably have been in the same space. Is she listening to this podcast? Right oh, now? maybe. I, yeah. I don't, probably not. I don't know. But um, Hello. basically, but I mean, this happens to everybody all mm. the time, doesn't it? You have these misunderstandings with people or you have these real disagreements with people or fights or whatever you want to call them and whatever they feel like. And actually, what was so interesting about it is that I watched my mind process over the course of like two weeks before we actually were able to get together and, and talk things out. And, um, you know, it's very easy for me to stand up and, you know, do my sort of yoga teachy thing or, you know, teach people about meditation. But those instances in which I have to take my mind and something that's really gnawing at it and the story is going strong and I, the story of me being right and what, why this has bothered me and all this kind of stuff going on and watch what your mind does over the course of the week and how at first it's really strong for many days you're, you're chewing on it, but at some point it starts to lessen. And then eventually two weeks later or a week and a half later, all the emotions have sort of really calmed down. Like to watch that whole process objectively is a very different thing than just staying with it and just staying angry. And I feel like, you can only really understand your own mind if you're willing to like practice doing things that way, doing things differently mm -hmm. rather than the way that we've always been taught to do them, which is like, just stay your, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's the Feed practice. Feed your story. It? It, it's the practice. Be right. Bit. Yeah. It's a belief thing as well, because I, you know, there's some practices that, you know, that I do where, you know, the idea is that you can change your state in an instant like literally instant 
state as like if I wanted to be happy I can be happy if I want to be angry I can mm. be angry but you can instantaneously but you have to practice yeah, the skill ha- yeah, set that's right um, and then in that practice and it becomes like breathing in the second nature but if you don't practice it then you always have to consciously it's, it's, kind of try to figure it out or I observe feel, or those kinds of things. I feel like it's exactly like lifting weights or exactly like running. Mm. You can't just pick up and run a marathon. You can't just pick up and lift the level of weights you're lifting. I mean, I can't ever lift the level of weights you're lifting, but do you know what I mean? Mm. You're like, yeah, Sarah, that's right. Yeah. But, um, you know, we don't think of our minds as something that you can train in the same way that you it's train the body like it really is it really is keep, there's uh, a another great quote of the same sort of on the same line of thinking from um man's search for meaning he says um such people forgot that often it is just such an exceptionally difficult external situation which gives man the opportunity to grow spiritually beyond himself so i mean in other words you know, it's exactly these moments of suffering in which we have the opportunity to grow spiritually. We don't have that opportunity other places. You know, it's like why in Buddhist practice, you know, it's you bow to the person giving you difficulty to say, thank you for helping me practice my patience because you don't get to practice patience with people who just go along with whatever you do. You can only practice patience with someone who's trying your patience, you know. He says, this is Viktor Frankl again, he says, instead of taking the camp's difficulties as a test of their inner strength, they did not take their life seriously and despised it as something of no consequence. They preferred to close their eyes and to live in the past. Life for such people became meaningless. So, and again, I think the thing that's really nice about Viktor Frankl's book is that he is really non-judgmental about it. He really doesn't blame people for, for being that way because this is like, the most trying circumstance. And at the beginning of the book, interestingly, he sets everything up by saying, um, although there was like selection process for all different kinds of things, who lived, who died, Mm. all this stuff. He said, there was sort of a selection process going on the whole time among all the prisoners. On average, only those prisoners could keep alive who, after years of trekking from camp to camp, had lost all scruples in their fight for existence. They were prepared to use every means, honest or otherwise, even brutal force, theft, and betrayal of their friends in order to save themselves. We who have come back by the aid of many lucky chances or miracles, whatever one chooses to call them, we know the best of us did not return. And so right off the bat, he sort of lumps himself in with everybody else who survives. who's saying like, we all did stuff that was like... To, yeah. to survive like that's what what you do and and so for the rest of the book i think when he says things about not you know people who didn't take the opportunity to grow spiritually he's not it's not said with a i am yeah you because know. This, again this is a reflection looking back isn't mm. it so there's a quote from him that um that's i think is an interesting one and it's this idea that those who have a why to live can bear with almost oh, any yeah how. yeah no so that's nietzsche yeah. You'll be glad to know that's Nietzsche. It's yeah, in yeah. this book. He says yeah. it. Yeah. So that that stuck out with me as well. And I'm lucky because I, I have great... my crazy note taking. Yeah. That's right. And um, but and again, that gives you that thing to focus on. I mean, and and that just jumped out of me yeah. there from the point of view that one of the things that helped 
in most of the military circumstances when life kind of sucked in that way because you're out yeah you're out in extreme conditions and the like was that you knew that what you were doing or we believed that what we were doing was for a greater purpose than ourselves so we had a very strong why so i'm here yeah. So that you don't have to be here. Right, right, um, right. Is a is a thing that we what well, was our relief. It was part of our ethos. And that that always helped. That helped that, you know, um Yeah. I'm suffering so you don't have to suffer, but it just puts you in a different frame of mind because you have a very strong why while you're there. So yeah. you can put up with the sort of how. Um and I think, I think the same with the, like I guess I keep asking about what man search for meaning. No, and what is that? And I think part of that is this whole why thing. So do you have a strong why of your existence? Yeah. And then you can then proceed from there with any sort of how or put up with any how if you have a really strong why. But figuring out that why sometimes is a... Well, that reminds me of two things. The um, Arnold Schwarzenegger Hmm. um, speech that you sent me a couple weeks ago that was like, when he was talking about his goals and he was like, I was at the gym and doing this and everyone was like, how can you be doing all of this stuff? Going to university, working, training, you know, all this Mm. stuff and still be smiling. And he was, you know, his explanation for that is that he had a goal and he knew that every rep he did was like getting him closer to this this why that he really really wanted and so Mm. he was like i was really happy to do the next round of reps for my training because every single step was getting me closer to where the thing that i most wanted i think that's when you can tell whether you have a strong why or not because people people say well when i don't have time to do this so if your why is really strong you won't use that kind of language because you'll figure out what you need to do to make it happen and it brings you yeah. closer so i think that's a for me that's one of the good me- metrics to question your why or where are you willing to go in order to achieve this and the thing this this why or this thing that you're saying that's driving you yeah sometimes i think it's it's sort of an unarticulated why or like something that's been pushed into the background because you've gotten caught up in like mundane stuff or stuff other people told you that you mm. needed to do. But what's the uh, TED talk, the the why guy? Oh, the Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek, yeah, yeah. exactly. So if you haven't um, watched that, that was amazing um, for me. And I really, really felt like that was the sort of a little bit of a, a, a guided process on like figuring out your own why yeah so yeah. um no, that's yeah. a good one anyway all right no good stuff yeah. so searching for man's search for meaning the uh this meaning seeking creatures freedom. that we are yeah that's right yeah so, so it's uh, good i was just uh looking at some stuff on uh spinoza so i we'll have to talk about him as well i'm going to do a um Starting this philosophers series on on philosophers, just a curated sort of piece, but he's, okay. he's my first one. Stoic, uh, he's stoic. No, no, he was um, Jewish guy. Wrote the Ethica, okay. uh, which is essentially the counterweight to the Bible. So he believed in God, but that not God of the mythology and the Bible sense and all these rules. But for him, it was. You know, God is the universe type thing. And if you want to understand your spirituality and connection, then it is about going out and understanding the world around you and within you and um, that sort of aspect. And Ah. that's how you come to know. Mystic. More. More on that. Yeah, maybe a mystic. I think he was... um, 
I'll have he to probably, read them. I'm gonna say he wasn't. He wouldn't have been lumped in with the mystics. Yeah, he actually got into excommunicated and all that other stuff because of his very. He's very anti-religion, yeah. um, yeah. in that sort of sense. And his book just never took off, but it's got a lot of wisdom in it. Yeah, but anyway, cool. he's my first. He's my first dude. Nice. That's going to be profiled in this series. Oh. So be on the lookout for that. Awesome. And uh, if you've gotten to the end of this mm. um, chat, and that means you must enjoy the podcast. Yeah, you if you've listened to us for this get long, share then share it out. And also um, get on our newsletter because then, you know, I always find with all the podcasts I listen to, just getting that little reminder in my inbox about mm. what the latest episode is is really nice so two things one you so, can subscribe yeah. subscribe in your podcast listener sign up for the newsletter and that jogs you can have a quick glance to see what we're going to be yeah, talking about so it gives exactly. you a nice little summary of what's happening plus we include all the links and yeah that them just sort of makes up. it easier makes to it easier for you to check things out to uh um go deeper Ooh, if you want to go deeper there's a chance this week to win a mug Okay, so, yes. we got some some mugs for your coffee. If you're listening, then get on get on it. I like it. All right, so they have to be subscribed to the newsletter Indeed. to get involved Indeed. in getting the mug. All right, very good. So do All that. Right. Let's see, see who, you next let's week. Let's see who wins the mug.